I'm Monique Collins. I'm Jill Tu. My name is Camille Eicher. I'm Chelsea Gayton. I'm K.O. Bird. And welcome to the Afronauts Podcast. Hey y'all, welcome back to the Afronauts Podcast. We hope you had a great summer. This week on Writing While Black, we're talking about critique partners, how we use them, if we use them at all, and tips for getting the most out of a partnership. Quick plug for our free CP matching service for Black Specfic authors. Hit us up on our Discord to learn more. So it has been a minute. Before we jump into our topic, I wanted to just ask what y'all have been working on writing this summer. Have you been taking a break? Have you just been reading, refilling the well? This summer I had been writing my my regular, um, my dark fantasy that I was writing. And then I'm also writing a gothic, mm-hmm. a Southern Gothic poetry collection. That's nice. I thought it was going to be so much easier to like focus on writing, but mm-hmm. it hasn't been. But I, I've been writing, but not as fast as I thought I was going to write. What about y'all? I've been like dabbling. Yeah. A little yeah. bit of writing here and there, not like a consistent schedule or nothing. Yeah. But I'm trying to get back in the swing of things. I am too. Like I gotta have a regular rhythm and like summer's throwing me off. And then I have random pieces I've been writing that aren't my work in progress. So it slows me down. I'm like, I gotta get back to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm uh, kind of burnt out on books right now. I feel like I did my like big revision, but I turned in at the end of June mm. and I have like other novel ideas that are kind of percolating, but I'm kind of like, I don't know. I'm feeling like not unmotivated, but maybe a little disillusioned, I guess, but like, mm. I got to work on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what has been really fun. And I think y'all know this is I've been doing a lot of short stories this summer. Mm, and nice. so taking a break from novels where it's like, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself for novels, right? It's like 80,000 words. And like, you start off at word zero and you're like, okay, I hope in three months, like somebody wants to read this. In and three if, months. And, and if they don't, girl. then you're just like, oops, right? Or, or six months, right? Or a year, right? And it just feels like you're building up so much of like your your hope and like your dreams into this thing. And it just takes so long to deliver on that and get like feedback. I feel like short stories have been good for getting rid of that fatigue for me. Cause it's just, it's so short. It's like an easy, you know, 5,000 word arc and then somebody can read it and tell, tell you if it's trash. Or not. So, so is that the key? Like having like feedback? Like, do you think for me personally, so and like, I, I need to work, I'm a little bit codependent and I need validation <laughs> in all areas of life. And so I feel like for writing, that's a big thing for me is just like, somebody tell me if this is good. I'm the same way. I'll write something and then I need to know if it's good or not. Mm-hmm. And if it's not yeah. good. And I'm Wait, like, how early? Like first chapter? You have like first three, first three chapters. Really? Like, oh no! I'm, I'm I'm, I'll do the first. Way. I just do the first way. act. I'll send the first act. No. Yeah. yeah. Somebody, yeah. yeah. It's so I, motivating. I hate feedback. Yeah. I hate feedback oh until gosh. I'm like very until I'm done with everything. That's what I used to do, Monique. No, I usually like, like if I don't have a full manuscript no. ready, yeah, I, I want okay. then like what no if it's trash? What if it's trash? You gotta write the whole thing. Exactly. It doesn't it matter. Like I, I want to nah. play with it. That's I want to change it. I want to oh like get everything out first, and then I want you to look at it. I don't care if it's trash. Okay, I've been doing the same thing, but I think it would be more motivating to have feedback. Okay. Yeah, I don't because you know what I had like all through graduate school, I had feedback and I hated every sec every second of it. Mm. Oh, I hate the feedback. Like, even the fair. positive feedback. Did yeah. it I didn't okay. you too much? I get scared about feedback though. Like I, I get nervous every single time someone reads my stuff. I always think they're gonna hate it every single time. And then yeah. the second thing is that I think they're gonna lie to me because they're my friend and they're you're not gonna tell nice. me the you're truth. You're just being nice. You're just being yeah, nice. Exactly. You're not gonna exactly. tell you really I don't know. Sucks, I, I feel like it's just like too early. Like I wanna put all my ideas out first. I wanna play mm-hmm. with it, I wanna change it. And mm-hmm. then I want to give you, like, I want to put my all into it. And then I want you to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would, I would not be myself if I didn't take advantage of um, that beautiful segue talking about feedback to talking about our topic for the day. So I'm gonna, oh, yeah. we're just going to pull that thread <laughs> all the way to the beginning of the conversation. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, today we're talking about CPs, uh, critique partners. Writing can be a very like solitary activity. But critique partners are one opportunity to really bring someone in or lots of people into this process. And I was just curious if we could talk about that today. Do y'all use CPs? So I do, but only usually when I have like a finished draft. And if it's like a short story or something, then yeah. But it has to be like complete, the complete work. Or otherwise I feel like 
I'm too reliant on like whether it's praise or criticism Mm. I like adjust my story to please that person Uh, I get caught uh up in that well usually if I have a complete work I send out to multiple people so Mm -hmm. then like I'll take their comparisons or like their critiques and adjust accordingly but I think sometimes I rely too much on feedback Chelsea I'm I'm a lot similar to you I do not like any critique or feedback until I'm like completely finished with it all my ideas are out and on the table I think mostly I just want that writing experience to be for me like Mm -hmm. I don't want it to be for publication I don't want it Mm -hmm. to be for anyone else I just want to be free in my creative space and to write freely and openly and just you know be able to make mistakes and get things wrong or get things right and then once I've poured everything I want to pour out into it and made all the corrections that I feel need to be made. And then I think the feedback is most helpful. I don't find the feedback helpful if, for example, like I know, okay, I need to fix this part of the story and I haven't yet, or I need to go back and and tweak this one thing. I don't see it as beneficial until I've gotten out everything that I know needs to be changed and then show it to another person. So y'all made me think for both of y'all, um, we might need to define the difference between a critique partner and an alpha reader because uh, that sounds like alpha readers to, to me for both of y'all, but I don't know if everyone agrees on that. I didn't learn about- Okay, what's an alpha crit- reader? I'm not an authority on all of these, but in my mind, <laughs> this is how it works. So for me, a critique partner is anyone um, that you're going to let actually dissect your novel. Like it could be in any stage, whether it's after the first act or second or after the whole thing is done and you revised it, but you're going to give them access. I'm going to say, hey, Camille, come in as a writer. You're also a writer. Like critique partners in my mind are always a writer. Like it can't be anyone else. You're mm-hmm. you're a writer. Tell me what you see is structurally wrong or tell me what parts like I just need to fix. That's a critique partner. For me, an alpha reader is that initial person who may be a writer, may not be a writer, but they're going to read it through and it's just going to be like, hey, I fell off here. This didn't make sense. Help me fix it. I'll go back. I'll revise it again. And that might be one, maybe two people. That's it. Like for an alpha reader. Beta readers, what I'm like, I feel like this thing is done. Like it, it is done. It should be clean. I'm going to send it off to two, three, four people, five people. And after they go through it, if they have some issues, I'll go back and tweak those few things. I need to move this paragraph. I need to clean this up. This this chapter didn't make much sense, but like the book is almost done. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I'm ready. Once those beta readers are done, then I'm ready to query it or submit it or whatever. So I think there's different levels to um, where people are involved in the process. To me, a critique partner is someone that's like in the novel with you as you're writing it helping you through oh no oh no I don't even, I don't even <laughs> that at all Camille uh Jill what do y'all think that. how do y'all I don't, I don't even want okay. that in my life okay so I use alpha readers um to critique my synopsis mm-hmm. since I have such a detailed synopsis it's really helpful to have someone come in before I even start writing and tell me mm-hmm. like well, why would this character do this or like this there's a plot hole here that doesn't make sense because that way it's not someone critiquing my writing, they're critiquing my plot. Mm. Wait, so you have your synopsis written before you start writing? Remember, this is Camille, Oh, yeah. Detailed, girl. Camille has her thing mapped out A, B, C, F, D, everything. (laughs) That sounds smart because then it's like you don't have to rewrite those chapters or move those chapters Mm because they're not written yet. Mm -hmm. Camille is the ultimate plotter. So the, for the people who do use critique partners, like how early are y'all introducing these people into your process? I know people who share like zero drafts with critique yep. partners and what? I couldn't. What's zero draft? Zero draft! What is that? So a zero draft is like when you just like get the words down, like get the story down on paper. Camille's like, oh, it's like the ugly, messy. Yeah. So imagine yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like you have like a couple of scenes like vividly in your head to get those down, but then you have like placeholders where you're like, and then there's probably a scene where they have this conversation. Oh. Anyway, blah, 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 I blah, blah. So, so my zero drafts, I like to think of them as bodies without connective tissue. Yeah. You, that makes you sense. You got everything you need, but you you yeah. haven't dotted all of your I's and crossed yeah. all of your T's. It's just yeah. kind of like, you just kind of vomit yeah. on the page and that's and so, all it is. Yeah, and so I know people who do that. I could never do that. I think for me, I like to go, I don't know if this makes it like, a critique partner or if it's like a weird alpha reader critique partner hybrid but I like to share stuff with folks like uh after each act 
so like I like to say okay well like here's the first 25% of the book and it should be like Mm -hmm. a clean end of like this is clearly like we're about to enter a new world or whatever it is and so I'll draft that revise it on my own clean it up like feel like it's like pretty polished and then send it off but have you written more or is it like that's all you've written usually that's all I polish so sometimes I'll be like an act ahead drafting the next act and like revising and polishing it while um critique partners have the first act and so then it's 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 interesting because that is what I think of a critique partner but as you were talking I'm I do it the other way where it's after the first draft, the whole thing's done. Mm. And I go back and I look at it. And, you know, I was saying that's like an alpha reader, but I think part of the difference is maybe trust level. You know, Mm -hmm. like I could grab someone that's like, hey, does anybody look at this? Like, anyone want to be a beta reader? Mm -hmm. And if they're those first people, I might consider them alpha. And I'll still go back and revise with a beta reader. I'm not usually changing a whole bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. Now with the critique partner, I'll let you go in there and you say whatever you want in the document. And then I'm going to like take that to heart and then be like, all right, Mm -hmm. we might need to like fix some things. Mm -hmm. I think it's the levels you assign. Yeah. I have some people, or I know some people who use like non-writers as their beta readers. So when you find a critique partner, that's what takes some work. You got to find somebody that fits with you. You got to find somebody that doesn't beat you up too bad where you don't want to write anymore, Mm -hmm. but will still tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. Like finding a critique partner is hard. And then like, yeah, I was going to say a critique partner is much more of an of an intimate relationship than much a more. beta or an alpha. Yeah, you really are partners. Mm-hmm. You're you're coming up with uh, concepts with like different structural things with character arcs and like it's very intensive, mm-hmm. as opposed to a beta or an alpha, who I think give more general feedback mm-hmm. or they answer your very specific questions, but they don't go beyond that. Mm-hmm. And a and a critique partner is someone who's who's much more invested. Mm-hmm. in like the, the meat of your story so this sounds like an editor how an is editor this different friend? from an editor maybe yeah. it's like a, I, no, like a cooperative like a cooperative yeah. editor mm-hmm. like you guys it's uh, like a, it's like a, yeah. it's a collaboration or an editorial agent i think i think yes. a lot of people say that like once you're agented your your age if your agent is more editorial they tend to become like a critique partner right they help you brainstorm stuff they help you work around things that mm-hmm. you know may not be working totally in your drafts Okay, so I'll give you an example right now. Jill is my CP, and Jill is in one of my novels. So she's going through. I finished the first draft. She's going through it. She's adding her notes or comments. She has general ideas about it. She's like, hey, if you want, we jump on a call. We could, like, beat up some of these thoughts and ideas and, like, work on it. So she's willing to say, I I like the story. Let's work on it. Let's make it better. So we'll, like, do that together. Then I'll go back, and I'll keep editing and writing it. A beta reader, I'm not going to do that with them. They can read it, and I'm not going to get on a call with them. Mm-hmm. I'm not even like, I'm not even, I'm going to be like, thanks for the input, uh, whatever. Then I'll come back to Jill and be like, hey, you know, Chelsea said this. Is that true? Mm-hmm. She's like, no, nah, don't worry about it. I'm going to listen to you, Chelsea. Nah, okay, so no, it. I have never had a critique. Like, no. That, oh, so you so never so had one? No, <laughs> like, I've never had, I've Chelsea's never given like, anyone that kind of access. She's like, she's like, she's like, like, I'm, she's like I've never been in love. I just I, I've never been in love. I've never, I've never like, had seriously? that one person. I've never found that. You know, I've, that. I've had, mm, I have and I have it, but all, all of mine have been like, kind of like against my will and <laughs> not against my will. Oh no, but it, non-consensual it's, it's, critique it's, partner. You have a non-consensual critique partner. It's, it's been like, not about shows, that but it's, it's all been in academic settings. In like workshops. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay, so okay. I've, I've had it in that sense, but as far as like, willfully choosing someone to be my critique partner because I want it no proposal I I don't think I want that no I I mean Mm, I I don't want it until my story is finished for me it's not even a question of if I want that it's just like my writing has gotten way better since I had critique partners right like I feel like I was just in a vacuum just kind of writing on my own I think between that and like a few craft books I found on self-editing like that's really what stepped my game up and that was as recent as like a year and change year and a half ago maybe I didn't even know people um, did that like I didn't know yeah. people brought in people that early in their process yeah I think until I found writing Twitter I didn't realize that you could just like trade with somebody and I had like, no clue See, right. I think when I saw people talking about critique partners I was always thinking of like alpha or beta readers like I wasn't mm. thinking of like mm. actual during the writing process mm-hmm. someone who's working with you I think if I had to choose I would rather have a workshop group mm-hmm. rather than a sole mm. critique partner yeah looking at my stuff because I'd rather he- hear multiple opinions mm-hmm. and kind of weigh it that way than mm-hmm. relying on one person to give me feedback. Yeah, that that's another intimately. 
totally. And I actually, I've always had more than one, um, which has always helped me. Cause I think to Chelsea's point, like I could totally get swayed by like one person's opinion and be like, well, is this really a problem? But it does yep. help to have a few people and you're like, okay, if this thing keeps coming up, then clearly I need to address this thing. I totally agree. I think, I mean, I think critique partners have come up in a world where people just don't have like the resources or like time or don't know how to come up with workshop groups. So I think that basically is like what the need is. It just feels like it's more, I have you and I have you and I have you instead of like, we have each other. I so. think there, there's a certain level of vulnerability that's required when you, when you have these kinds of conversations with people. Yeah. And so if you're not comfortable with that level of vulnerability, cause this is like you said, your baby that you're handing someone. Mm-hmm. And that's why critique partners are so important that's why it's so important to have critique partners that um, are also comfortable with that level of intimacy because it, it feels much more intimate when you get down into the depths of like your story. Mm-hmm. So I totally get not being really comfortable with it because it just you have to be really vulnerable with your mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Monique touched on this a little bit, but how do you guys feel about crossing lines of difference with your critique partners? I've had a range of people who to beta read stuff for me mm-hmm. and even at that stage like some people are like they don't know what something means and they're like maybe you should explain it in the tech like I had someone ask mm-hmm. me what's trap music and I don't think you should use trap music because people don't know what that is and I was like you don't know what that is <laughs> and I was like Ugh. yeah so, yeah like there's there's always I guess you just got to be mindful of it like know what to expect from different yeah. people yep I've had a white and black cps and uh i can definitely tell a difference like with that same type of thing like with my white cps it's been like you know they say i wouldn't use this word i wouldn't use that word or what does mm-hmm. that mean and i'm like ooh. and then with black you cps yeah, they don't, uh, <laughs> you can't use that word <laughs> i can use that word but you can't say it nah. um with black cps that they don't even question that they actually ask about the heart of the story um but in the YCPs also like because of who they are individually, not just because of their race, also added a lot of value to the story. You know, mm-hmm. I think it is beneficial to have uh, betas, CPs, alphas, whatever of differing races and ethnicities. Mm-hmm. Oh, if for no other reason than it lets you know how your readers will eventually read it, because mm-hmm. there's not like I can sure. decide like only black people can read my book. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I think that makes it helpful not that yep. not that their comments about culture or something would make me change what I what I wrote or anything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it would be nice to just know like this might not be completely understandable to some people and then yeah. I have to just sit with that and decide am I cool with that yeah. do I want to do more explaining do I want to say no nah, yeah. this is the way it is I'm not going to explain anything yeah. at least you know um, so but I know and I think yeah. that in itself is helpful and makes it worth it I write YA and I have actually had teenagers be beta readers and that was so helpful. That's so oh. Critique partner, no. But mm-hmm. I have had teens be beta readers and like they were helpful in being able to say, I didn't understand this part. Mm-hmm. I need you to fix this part. I like and that idea. I, I, I didn't that. think yeah. about having teens as beta that. readers. I love that. I wanted to say one thing about having critique partners of different races and ethnicities, mm-hmm. which is that sometimes um, when you have a critique partner, it's a like a mutual relationship, right? So like you read their stuff, they read your stuff, and that can be really great. I think sometimes um, you should be careful, especially if you're you know meeting a new CP and kind of testing it out and reading their stuff, because you'd be surprised like what kind of stuff can pop up, even if it's not um, like meant to be hurtful or um, traumatic in in someone's writing, right? But like you you might find yourself having to be the bur- having to bear the burden of being an educator. Oh, and stuff, yeah, 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 right? yeah, and that's happened to me a couple of times mm-hmm. where I'm like, yeah, like having the the like way tropes so, and stereotypes. Yeah, like now, that, Jill, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've had that happen to me before, and I the way around that is that no one is gonna be like a first time surprise CP for me. Yep. You're gonna be a beta or an alpha first. Yep. I'm testing before you out before you become I'm, a CP. Oh, yeah, I'm sense. not that gonna. Makes sense. Yeah, I think I'm familiar. Way with more helpful. Work. Yeah, and you have to make sure that you guys vibe well and that like you don't feel like you ever have to do a whole lot of educating. That's smart. Um, okay. Or they don't make you feel a certain way. So I yeah. just for everyone's. That is really future, smart. So you're saying you're there, your beta or a- alpha first, and then if you guys click well and everything works out, so it's like less intimate, and then you'll bring them yeah. in. So to anybody who's um who's looking for CPs, what words of advice would you give them on 
how to find them or how to get the most out of a CP relationship? Um, I would I, say probably know what you want yeah. in the beginning, like know what you're actually looking for. Like, do you want someone to like look at the full story, dive deep, like the developmental edits and stuff? Or are you just looking for like general, like how do you feel about it? Because mm-hmm. you might get mm-hmm. your feelings hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you should be okay with the person's personality. Like me, I'm okay with harsh criticism and like direct criticism if I'm okay with your personality. Like if you're, if we vibe well and we get along and I know I can trust you if you're like, okay, this isn't working. This is ugly. You need to change it. I'd rather have that than, you know, kind of like the soft pedaling. So I think, I think the personalities have to match for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with Monique. Um, I had a CP once who was direct and probably was brilliant, but they cut to the core. And so I was like, no, nah, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> like, it was like, ah, it's too much. I don't want to hear that. Like, well, this is actually this way and this isn't realistic. I'm like, I know it's not realistic. This is fiction. I'm making up what I want to make up. <laughs> right. So I can do what I want. So like, their advice was like sound, but yeah. I was like, I, I can't hear it. So I, mm-hmm. I, you're right about the like personality. If, I, if we're cool, I can take it. Even if you say something hard and you're mm-hmm. like, now nah, you need to fix this and mm-hmm. we're actually cool, then I, I can do that. Mm-hmm. My advice is to know your story before you give it to someone else. Amen. Say it again. Because, because know <laughs> your story before you give it to someone else. Because mm-hmm. if you give your story to someone else and you don't know what like the heart of your story is, mm-hmm. then they get, they'll give you your feedback and it'll be something totally different. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll edit it and it'll be a completely different story from what you, mm-hmm. what you wanted. Mm-hmm. So my advice is to know your story know your your boundaries like your like this is things that I'm, I'm never changing this this stuff mm-hmm. I'm never changing these specific things mm-hmm. um that way you can look at feedback with a clear mind and you're not you're not ever worried about well is this what I wanted to say is this not what I wanted to say mm-hmm. and that way you can be a little bit more focused yeah my advice would be you should also focus on being a good CP I think for a few reasons mm-hmm. I think like one like you know in addition to just making your work better, like finding critique partners and beta readers and alpha readers is just a great way to build community um, and to find other people out there, whether it's on Twitter or, you know, however you find people, meetups, that kind of stuff. Just a great way to find other writers. If you don't like people like Monique, then you don't have to do that. But if you do like people just in general, then you can find, uh, <laughs> I'm going to edit, yeah. I'm gonna edit like that people. out. Sorry. Um, and then, <laughs> the other thing well, I was going to say was um, just like practical, practical advice. Like usually people respond well to people that are like giving of their skills and time and energy in, res- in response to getting. So whatever community you come into looking for a CP, don't just come in and say, I need someone to read my work. Like try to like offer your time. And, you know, ideally it's kind of an equal exchange. And I think people just respond well to that. I, I also wanted to say um, with alpha and betas really specifically is know what you're looking for. So like you could, you, sh- you should be able to say like, I'm looking to see if this specific plot arc makes sense to you? Or does this character's action make sense given what they, like what happened before? Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, how you feel about my vocabulary or whatever. But I think it's difficult for you to say, hey, I'm looking for a beta during my first 10 pages and they read it and they're like, okay, what did, what did you want me to say about like, right. You know, so right. be as specific as possible, help you help them. That's my advice. I'm going to make a shameless plug for our CP matching uh, service. Service might be, might be hyping it up too much, but for Black Specfic authors, if you are looking for CPs, um, other Black Specfic authors in particular, um, you can connect with us on our Discord um, and uh, just raise your hand, tag me, tag any of us, and we can get you the form to fill out to, uh, to match with another author. Um, you know, totally free. And uh, we've had a few people say that they found some success with it. So we're just out here to, to make connections, y'all, to, to make matches. Black people meet, y'all. Black people meet. Black people meet y'all. and talk about books. What up, Afronauts? Welcome to another edition of Craft Country. I'm your host, K.O. Bird, and today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite resources, something I go to anytime I'm revising, and that's the One Stop for Writers website. So, what's the One Stop website? I stumbled upon this site after a few writing friends of mine mentioned the plethora of resources on this page. 
at the time, I was doing my first set of edits for my agents, and they were asking me for more showing and less telling. Now, I know that phrase is one of the most controversial ones out there when it comes to authors, but in my case, it was warranted. Now, I needed a way to learn how I could show more and tell less, and I didn't know exactly where to go to get those words. I found this website, and it's an amazing resource. The website is the same as the name, and it's onestopforwriters.com. We'll link it in the show notes. Now, this website is the brainchild of Becca Puglisi and Angela Ackerman, who also run the website writershelpingwriters.net. They are co-authors of multiple books, including the nonfiction books that are in their thesaurus series. This website is a great and simple way to access the material in their books. Their goal, using their words, they help writers like you find the information and inspiration necessary to elevate your storytelling, saving you time in the process. The one-stop website houses a vast collection of reference materials that are intended to help writers improve their craft. For me, this has been absolutely beneficial in getting the juices flowing anytime I get into revision. There are many different resources on the site, but I'm going to dig into one of those first, and that is the Emotion Thesaurus. There are so many times that we can get caught up in simply mentioning an emotion and not taking the time to describe it. I get caught up in this all the time. I may say, fear came across Riley's face instead of saying, Riley's eyes widened and her breathing became shallow. Within the context of being in a haunted house, both convey fear, but one gives you a vivid picture of what I'm asking for. In this case, I went to the one-stop website, clicked on the emotion thesaurus, and then on terror. What it gives you on those pages is a definition, physical signs and behaviors, internal sensations, mental responses, cues of acute or long-term terror, and then it shows you what the emotion may escalate to or de-escalate to, and all the associated power verbs. You can see there's a whole lot on these pages with tons of examples in each section that I just named. All of this is very involved and they have it for every single emotion listed. And the emotion thesaurus is just one part of the website. Under the thesaurus category, they have things like character motivation, physical features, shape, symbolism, motif, weather. Now, one of my favorite things outside of the thesaurus are the stacks. The stacks is where I can do an entire character build with in-depth background on each character. This section also includes story maps, world building, and idea generation. What I did was I took one of my characters and I started to break down what that character needs, their wants, their desires, their background. I found a picture of what I thought the character looked like and I was able to put all of that into the website and it saves under my account. That way I can build a character Bible for all of my characters in here. And then what's even more amazing, I could take those emotions that we were talking about, all the different parts of the thesaurus, I can link them to my characters. That way, when I go back to a character, I know exactly what they're feeling. I know what their character arc should be. All that information is connected to their character. You can then take the story maps, link all of it together. It's an amazing resource in how you can continue to do the storyteller's roadmap and be able to see the progression of how you're telling the story, how to plan it, how to write it, how to revise it, using the story that they laid out and using your characters. As you see, this is a super valuable resource for writers in all stages of your writing career. In order to get this, I recommend the two-week trial so that you can at least check it out and do this when you're planning on doing some major drafting and you want some words to help you at the beginning or for revising. I think it depends on whichever one you enjoy doing more. If you're that person that likes to stop with their drafts and go through and find the best word before you move on to the next chapter, I would say use it while you're drafting. If you're someone like me who plows all the way through and then we go back and after I'm revising, then I find the best words, that works best for me. So I would go through, write my whole story, come back, and as I'm going through, I'm looking at, oh, this is a place where I do a whole lot of showing. How do I break down the emotion on their face? And then I'll go in and be like, what are my character arcs like? What's my character Bible like? How do I know like what this character is supposed to be doing? And I'll go back and I'll look at each of the parts for my character and I'll start looking at the world building parts, the idea generators, and put together the whole story. So it's a fabulous resource. Now, like I said, there's a two-week trial. I would say do that while you're in the two-week trial. And then 
once you realize that, okay, I really like this, you go ahead and pay for it. I've seen some deals for 25, 50% off around the holidays. So be on the lookout for those. But they also have paid plans for unlimited monthly, semi-yearly, or yearly access. So if you just need a month, because you know you're going to revise in a month, just do the one month one. If you want to do a semi-yearly because you're like, hey, I'm going to write and then I'm going to revise for three months and I need it during that time, make sure you pick it accordingly. But this is a fabulous resource that I think you guys will go to over and over again. All right, it's been great. I will see you guys next time. Hey, I'm Camille Eicher, and you're listening to Genre Galaxies. Today, I wanted to talk about magic systems. So we're gonna start broad. The two types of magic systems I'm gonna talk about are hard and soft. Now, some people call them rational and irrational. Others see these as totally separate things. Either way, that's not a bad way to remember them. Hard magic systems are rational. And they're rational not because they aren't complicated or intricate. They're rational because the author explains everything to the reader. In a hard magic system, there are rules and limitations. There is consistency the reader can rely on, so they understand why things happen the way they do and why characters react or don't react to things around them. If you're someone who enjoys hard magic systems, It might be because you don't necessarily want an air of mystery or the unknown. There's not so much faith in hard magic systems. Rather, there's proof and knowable and measurable actions. Now let's talk about soft magic systems. Where there is consistency in hard magic systems, There's variability or a lack of understanding in soft magic systems. I like to think of it as moving through the world with a Rubik's Cube. So you have an end goal in mind, but you're walking through fog. You can't see your hands. So yeah, eventually you finish the cube or your spell works or your potion is brewed and you did it. But the mechanism for getting there isn't clear. There are also magic systems that are a little bit of A, a little bit of B. Maybe there are rules, but they aren't absolute. Everything lives somewhere on a spectrum, and I will continue to say that all the time, especially when it comes to literature. To help me explain this, I'm going to reference my own magic system I came up with for a story I hope to write one day. I'll separate it into hard and soft systems, and... They'll both be called bone magic because that's just who I am as a person. All right, so this is for hard magic systems. The only people who can practice bone magic are those who drink from a lake at the bottom of a cave in the Smoky Mountains. The water in the lake is basically an elixir. After drinking the elixir, a person has the ability to mix crushed bones with certain herbs to effect change. However, there are of course rules and limitations in this magic system. The first rule is you can only practice it if you've had the elixir. So now we know not just anyone can do this. You aren't born with it, it's not genetic at all. The second rule is that you cannot work with the bones of someone you haven't killed. Therefore, Every bone magic practitioner is also a murderer. Last rule is that you can only use a human femur bone because that is the strongest bone in the body. And since each person usually has two femurs, if you want to practice this magic regularly, you're going to have to kill. And not deer or foxes, but you're going to have to kill people. Okay, so we have three rules. For the hard magic system of bone magic, you have to have had the elixir, you can only work with the femurs, and only from a person you've personally killed. I'd call that pretty limiting. I would also say we've already got some pretty heavy tension. Alright, 
Let's do the same thing for a soft magic system of bone magic. Here, you don't have to drink an elixir from the Smoky Mountains, but curiously, the only practitioners are from that region of the country. It's not necessarily genetic, rather, the way to crush the bones and mix it with the herbs are taught from parents to children over generations. You don't have to murder someone or even use a human femur, but if you do and you use that bone, the magic that comes from whatever you're doing will be incredibly strong. Of course, you know, most people don't want to actually commit murder, so most people don't. And the ones who do are reasonably shunned from the community, but also those people are going to be the most powerful practitioners. Alright, so here we see the difference between hard and soft magic systems. One has clear limitations and rules that must be followed, otherwise you don't get access to the magic. The other is more vague. There aren't really any hard and fast rules, and some of it is a complete mystery. Imagine living in the Smoky Mountains with this form of magic being passed down in the family. No one knows where these powers come from, and since they haven't had the elixir, the origin of magic is an enigma. What lore could people come up with to help them make sense of the nonsensical? What spiritualities or rituals unique to this region could emerge with enough imagination and generations of time? Just some food for thought. I'm Camille Eicher. Thanks for joining me inside Genre Galaxies. Hey, Afronauts. I'm Chelsea Gayton, and welcome back for more Black Spectic Rex. I hope you've been consuming some amazing speculative works by Black creators this summer, because I know I have. Today, my recommendation is a novel that takes place in an exciting world that's a blend of science fiction and fantasy. It also includes a romantic subplot with characters that will steal your heart. So let's get into it. My Black Specific Rec for today is Blood Like Magic by Lizelle Sambri. Blood Like Magic takes place in a world that I desperately want to see more of. Not only do readers get to experience a high-tech, futuristic version of Toronto, but we also get to explore the secret world of witches that our main character, Voya, belongs to. I haven't read much Canadian fiction, but I think it's safe for me to say that the Toronto presented in the novel is different enough, so that it's clear that this isn't the world as it is today. At the same time, though, it still feels so real and so close. There's new technology and buildings and even slang, but these changes are all in direct connection to the world we live in. This gives the novel a feeling of a future that's not far off, which is something I really enjoyed seeing. But inside the science fiction world is an underground community of magic and witchcraft. The combination of science fiction and fantasy in this world results in some satisfying world building that instantly draws you in. But it's the likable characters and intriguing plot that keeps you there. Our main character in this novel is Voya. She's kind, sweet, and strong in a way that you fiercely want to protect. Voya cares about her family, and she wants to do right by the people she loves. That's why she has so much indecision around the choices that involve them. So when she's told she must destroy her first love to save her family's magic, we see her struggle with a seemingly impossible task. And the first boy who captures her heart is one that will also grow on you really quickly. Luke, the trans boy that Voya falls in love with, is a broody introvert that secretly is just a big, awkward softy. He's a great fit for Voya, and the romantic subplot is one of the sweetest that I've read in a while. They're really hard not to love together. But another thing that I loved about this novel was its appreciation for good food. Voya is a cook, and she throws down in the kitchen. Every dish is described in soul-warming detail. This book helped me see that food can be a perfect analogy for almost anything. It's personal and emotional and can offer a different experience with every dish. Through its unique tastes, smells, textures, and visuals, food can capture an array of emotions. And I appreciate the reminder of this in Blood Like Magic. Another thing I loved about this book was the focus on family. One thing about reading stories with Black families is that I always get this sense of familiarity always reminded of my own in one way or another. No matter where or when the story takes place, the characters feel like extended family, and that's very much the case here. 
I get this feeling of instant connection with Voya and her family. And I'm so grateful that there's more of these stories being shared and providing other Black readers with the same feeling. I hope you all go and check out Blood Like Magic, but if you've already read it, let me know. Join our Discord channel to connect with other readers and discuss more of your favorite Black speculative fiction. And if you have any recommendations you'd love to share, just use the hashtag BlackSpecFitGrex and I'll check them out. Till next time! Hey Camille! Hey Monique! Hey Afronauts! Hey, and welcome to the Black Joy Crew segment. Today on the Black Joy Crew, what are we talking about, Camille? Today we are talking about whether or not we incorporate food in our stories and how we maintain self-care as Black writers. Let's get to it. Okay, so Monique, do you incorporate food in your stories? Absolutely, yes, Camille. Do you? So, uh, I do, I do, I do. I think because food was such an important part of my life growing up, my family, my community, that it's just that I, I think that it's such a great way to get to know characters and also have a lot of your plot happen. I 100% agree because I know for us as Black writers or as Black people, you know, period, food is very important to us and our culture. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Historically, I think food was such a important thing for us as a means for protecting our culture, protecting our pasts. In relation to that, how do you feel about terms like southern food or soul food or because I really feel two ways about it well you tell me how you feel and then I'll come <laughs> up with how- <laughs> so you know what for a long time I didn't understand my own culture and by that I mean I didn't understand that the foods my mama made and my grandma made that they came from our ancestral past So I didn't understand, for example, that uh, red rice had, it wasn't just red rice, like that's not the original name for it, um, but that it came from the continent and, you know, it's known as jollof rice and many other names, depending on um, the region you're in, but just things like that. Um, The proper original naming of things, I feel like was so stripped away from us. But just the stripping of our language is what I don't like. And that that was intentional, that our language was stripped away. And then our culture was stripped away. Um, But what about you? How do you feel about the naming of our foods as like either soul food or Southern food? I think I feel neutral about it. I I feel like it has become more like a colloquial thing where Mm -hmm. it's just kind of like, if I say Southern food, you know what I mean. If I say soul food, you know what I mean? And I do think that a lot of the identity behind the foods has been like colonized. And I think it's just kind of a melting pot of Black food. Yes. And so, you know, I guess like whatever language you want to say about that melting pot, I, I mean, however it makes you feel comfortable. But it really is just like a melting pot. And so when I when I write about um, certain dishes that my family uh, cooked for my whole life, sometimes I feel like is this even this is a step further removed from it are from its original state because what we had was different from even what maybe your ancestors had. Well, explain what, what, what are some of the dishes that you incorporate into your stories or you have at home? Um, certain kinds of uh, fish that you found in rivers specific to um, the Smoky Mountains. Okay, that sounds really um, tasty, actually. Super, super <laughs> tasty. My stories are full of seafood. Um, seafood, yeah, yeah. girl, we love yeah, our that's seafood what, That's what I thought. That's what I thought, yeah. So much seafood and also rice. Rice is really, really big here. Rice, yams, and seafood. And the rice comes from, it comes from Africa. 
that's one of the reasons why they brought us to this region. That's one of the skills that um, the enslaved Africans taught the, the white men who enslaved them. So what you were saying about um, the slaves coming over and having in, in your area in South Carolina rice, and that's interesting because in East Tennessee, there wasn't a lot of crops because oh. it's, it's hilly, it's mountainous. So it wasn't, it wasn't a good spot for, uh, for plantations, for like large plantations. So um, most of my ancestors who were slaves in, in East Tennessee were house slaves. Oh. And they were, they worked kind of like on small farms Okay. But they weren't, but they weren't growing like rice or cotton or there were, there weren't those kinds of plantations in East Tennessee, the, the landscape doesn't allow for it. So I wonder if that's also part of the, the food culture in East Definitely. Tennessee, in Black East Tennessee, Definitely. where we didn't have that type of rice and mm-hmm. with, and your proximity to the ocean. I felt like we're so cut cut off behind and beneath the mountains in East Tennessee from other Black people, but also from these these food and the ocean. Like there's, we're in the mountains. So So your food history is a lot different from ours then. Yeah. That's a great thing to think about as you're writing your stories. Mm -hmm. Because food and geography are linked. And I think yeah, it's really yeah. cool when you're world building, like literally creating these worlds, you have to figure out, okay, what's the geography like and what are people doing in those places? Uh, as we're talking about food, you know, some foods can be really, really horrible for us, but they taste awesome. But some foods, you know, they can heal. They have healing properties, all these great benefits. Um, but to kind of use that as a jumping board, maintaining self-care is very important especially mm-hmm. as Black writers, um, what are some of the ways that you maintain self-care? As a Black writer, the best thing specifically I've done is to have Black friends, like have a Black community. Yes. Because they understand me in a way that no one else could. And we, we definitely have this, like, we just really click even though we may write different genres or age mm-hmm. categories or whatever, it's it's just so nice to just sit back and sometimes we just talk and I'm just like, this is this is amazing. It's it's like therapy. Yes. To just hang out with like you and like KL and Jill and Chelsea. Aww. Like sometimes we just talk and I'm just like, this is these are my people. <laughs> like you guys really get you I I feel like there's when you're a black writer and you write speculative fiction mm-hmm. and not literary fiction, you have even more hurdles yes. to go through. Like, you know, like you, sometimes you have hurdles that are familial. Sometimes even your family, they're kind of like, they don't really understand fantasy or sci-fi or right. whatever. And like my, my grandmother used to say that I couldn't read certain books because, you know, it was magic and that was bad and stuff like that. And so there were things that like, I couldn't talk to my family about they or they wouldn't understand but I can come to my black friends who write speculative fiction and y'all understand me and like we can talk and we disagree a lot of the time on oh, a lot yeah. of different things but <laughs> but you know what I love it I love yeah. it because we're not the same but we get each other yes that's a great point that you definitely need to find your tribe your community mm-hmm. of people um so you you don't feel like you're like all in, alone on this little planet by yourself. Exactly. But no spaceship to come save you. <laughs> no, not yet. Although I'm writing a story that may help to save us. Okay. They got saved. I'm happy for them. Anyway, um so what about you, Monique? How do you maintain self-care as a black writer? This is a really interesting uh question only because I've been kind of asking myself the question lately. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that a, a lot of the times, it's like the, I know a lot of people say writing is hard for me. The writing part is easy. It's everything else that's, that's kind of hard, really? <laughs> you know, like, like what? 
like juggling family or work or, you know, different things that kind of can pull you away from writing. Um, yeah. Or can kind of like, just sometimes I come home from work and I'm just like drained and yeah, I can barely make dinner, let alone stare and write. So, um, I think, um, one of the ways that I've been kind of practicing maintaining self-care is the first of all, allow myself to not write yeah and be okay with I know some writers say okay I write every day or I wake up at four in the morning and I I just write for three hours Mm -mm. okay Um, (laughs) that does not work for me Mm -hmm. that doesn't work for me um especially with my career and with my other responsibilities so I think you have to be realistic with yourself Mm -hmm. um realistic with yourself because and not compare yourself to other writers as well that's the worst yeah because you know worse it is the worst because that writer who's waking up at four in the morning to write every day maybe they don't have another job or maybe they don't have kids or the obligations or the responsibilities that you do my main problem is that no one around me wants me to write (laughs) no one will just let me leave me be and just give me my my time that too right what's one self-care takeaway one thing I will say is to allow yourself to do nothing it is important (laughs) that you do nothing it's important (laughs) it's important that you not write a key part in writing is not writing And it's something people don't talk about, but it's important to either think about it or more importantly, not think about it. Because I think a lot of us overthink things. A lot of us try to force it. A lot of us feel like we will compare ourselves to other people who are where we want to be. My best advice is to do nothing and then just do what feels right after that. Awesome. And we all know Camille loves doing nothing, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, Monique, I got to go do laundry. Hey, uh, I was going to tell you, I had to go do laundry. I literally right now am washing my shower curtain and my shower liner. Okay. As uh, we speak. Well, on that note, Afronauts, <laughs> please tell us, do you incorporate foods into your stories? And how do you maintain self-care as a writer? Let us know. Follow us on social media, and we hope to hear from you soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for kicking it with us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Check out the link in our show notes to join our Discord community. Don't forget to follow and subscribe.